So I have the honor of continuing on through uh, our series on Philippians, and uh, today's message is called Fruitful Labor. Fruitful Labor. I'm going to start off with a story. Uh, so while I got saved in 1995 at a vacation Bible school that my babysitter brought me to, it wasn't quite about until 2006 when I started to really take my faith seriously. So in around October 2006, I got baptized, and I got plugged into a little Baptist church in Markham, and I started reading my Bible and started to get discipled. But something started happening at our church. Every time I would get plugged into discipleship, the pastor would leave, and that happened twice over the span of a year. And so by around October 2007, I started noticing that I didn't really know how to grow in my faith. I was having a hard time. I didn't really know what to do. Uh, and then in 2007, God did something really cool. So I went to a birthday party of, uh, for a mutual friend, and uh, I met this guy named Andre. And we hit it off really well. Uh, we, had a, we both had a, the same heart for ministry. We both love music. We both love movies. We both love Jesus, most importantly. And uh, he, there's something about him that really drew me to him. And so one day... Uh, we were we were online. We were on MSN Messenger. Who remembers that? Yeah, a little poppy. Yeah, yeah. I just dated myself super hard. Um, we were on MSN talking, and that's when it started. I started to tell him about how I was having a hard time growing in my faith, and how uh, I, while I had grown up uh, appreciating all types of music and 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 coming to love hip hop into into my into my teenage years and into my early 20s I didn't really know how to bridge the gap that I was hearing in the music with my faith and so he's like don't worry I got you and one night I logged into MSN and all of a sudden these files started coming in he started to barrage my 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 messenger with little these really super low quality mp3 files <laughs> and he sent in maybe probably about 18 of them and he just sent all that he had and I remember clicking play and thinking to myself, what, what is this? It's not like I was looking for like, the Christian version of stuff that I had liked already, which is pretty common. I just wanted to hear music for once in my life that matched up with what I believed. Have you felt that way? It's hard, right? And he goes, it's Christian hip-hop. I was like, okay. But I listened, and I was hooked immediately. And for those years where I struggled with discipleship, struggled with finding people who would pour into me, those were the guys who poured into me. And eventually that led to the Bible and Reformed theology, artists like Shai Lin and Hazakim and Timothy Brindle. And they would have these little intermissions in their songs where they take snippets of sermons. And that's where I discovered John Piper and John MacArthur. So you'd have this this like hard rap music with like intermissions from John Piper, and it would just transition really smoothly. And so one day I'm searching for Christian hip hop. I'm, I'm on Morpheus, I'm on all the illegal sites trying to pirate stuff. I broke suit and couldn't find anything. And I find this, this one song by an artist named Stephen the Levite, and he had a song called To Die Is Gain. So we're gonna put the lyrics up. I'm gonna read it to you, I promise I won't rap them. When you see the word cats, that is in reference to person, just to translate for those who may not know. You appreciate that? Yeah, it's good. This is not a message about cats. So I'm just going to read it out loud. And if you can imagine in your mind while you're reading or while you're listening, uh, I was 21 when I read 
never heard these lyrics for the first time, and it, it just it changed so much for me at the time. This joint right here is for the believers overseas, smuggling Bibles and preaching Jesus wherever God pleases. Regardless of the received opposition, you remain harmless, soldiers for Christ enduring hardness. From the underground Christian MCs to cats leading underground Bible studies in foreign countries, from cats passing tracts and planting seeds to pastors planting churches with a passion for legacy, from the boy praying for God to save it for his family's salvation to the man begging with tears for God to save his nation. Your, pre your treasures in heaven are waiting. Your work is not in vain and benefits come with this occupation. For, to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I remember hearing it for the first time and it was like, it was like I'd never heard the Christian faith expressed like that. You know, when I, when I, I remember hearing it and I, and I stopped and I rewound it, actually hit back, and I listened again and I listened again and I listened again. I, I started to realize, God, God started to, to show me that maybe for, for so much of my Christian walk, salvation was pretty much a get out of hell free card. And it wasn't for lack of people teaching, it wasn't a lack of people trying to show me what the Christian walk was about, but I had convinced myself that if I just believed in Jesus, and I could just do whatever I wanted, because I could just go to heaven when I died. That was hard, because I started to read these lyrics, and it was like, this does not look like what faith was, and I can't turn my page. Life, right? Turn, turn page. So, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that you shouldn't believe in Jesus to inherit eternal life, right? We celebrate that here at Fellowship Pickering, uh, Fellowship Oshawa. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had to do it once. We celebrate that, right? Anybody who comes here regularly, you know that the gospel will be preached. And that, as important as it sounds, is not as common as you would think. And so I, I have no, I obviously love to hear that message and I love to preach that message and that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. But as I think about my testimony, as I think about the testimony of others, I start to wonder to myself, is there, is there more? Not more to the gospel, but if I put my faith in Jesus, then what? There has to be something. And so last week, Jared continued through the, the, the series on Philippians and he touched on how the Apostle Paul was able to find joy in the, in the midst of of imprisonment and potential death. And today we're gonna to study through verses, one, uh, verses 20 to 26. And I, I kinda of wanna zoom in on what to live as Christ looks like. Because I think for, for myself, as a young believer, I really embrace the to die is gain. If I, you know, when I die, I'll go to heaven. That'll be great. But the live, to live as Christ, to, to, to walk with Jesus while I'm on this earth, it was, very foreign to me. So I'm going to read through the verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll see what God has to say. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 26. It'll be on the screen. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray. Father, Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through these verses here, and God, that you would give us a greater glimpse of what to live as Christ means. In your name we pray, amen. So last week, uh, Jared introduced the word um, megalino, which is in reference to when Paul says that uh, Christ will be honored in his body. Christ will be magnified in his body. And uh, he talked about that opportunity that we get to magnify or honor Jesus in the midst of hardship. You remember that, for those who were here? I kind of, I was looking through this passage and I started to see that there was this cool logic or this cool flow of information that Paul, uh, how, how he goes from the, his desire to magnify Jesus in his body and how he uh, kind of concludes in, uh, in the ministry that God has called him to while he's still on earth. So if you look here, verse 20, it says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, and then verse 24 says, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So there's this cool thread. If you go, from, go through all the yellow words, there's this cool thread and he goes down the verses, and we see that Paul mentions life, living, living in the body, remaining in the body. And he, and he transitions from magnifying Jesus by his life and concluding on what God has called him to do, which is to remain in his body. And so what do we see? What does it say in the passage? Living for what? Or remaining in the body to do what? Verse 22, let's look at it. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. That's the reason why Paul, instead of going to be with Jesus, was kept here to minister to the church for fruitful labor. So I, I want to try something. I want everybody in the room to stand up if the following sentence or statement applies to you. You ready? I am a human being who is alive. So th what I have to say to you is this. The only reason you are here alive, here in this room and here on this earth, is for the purpose of fruitful labor. Fruitful labor, you got that? I want you to repeat with me. The only reason I'm alive is for fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. So for the rest of the passage, we're going to unpack what that looks like. You can sit down. Thank you. How's it you do it? on brand with the message. So let's go on to verse 24, and uh, we're going to see what Paul meant when he said fruitful labor. Verse 24 says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. His fruitful labor 
was necessary for the church. So instead of dying and going to be with Jesus, Paul was called to remain alive on the account of others. Uh, you know, I'm reading through this, this, this verse, and I think, I'm thinking to myself, especially with what's going on just these days on social media and just everything that we see, there's just so much. This is like one of the most countercultural things I've ever read, basically. Because what he's saying is that my life, my life is, it is necessary for you that I remain, not necessary for me. Like our society is so focused on my pleasure, my comfort, my choice, my identity, my body, my time, my resources, my money, right? That's what we are as a society. It's the idol of self. We worship ourselves. And so for Paul to say, it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. The only reason that I'm alive is for you. It is necessary for you. I, I was just kind of like, who, who among us would say that? Even for us in the church, we live for ourselves in a lot of cases, right? But it's not a new problem. Let's look at James chapter 3, verse 16. Because the Bible is clear that wherever evil is, you're going to find selfishness right around the corner. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, find you, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And so God was using Paul to set an example of selfless living, an example that we all need to follow. He says it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And what makes it even more incredible, I start thinking about our lives, and I start thinking about Paul's life, and, and there's this, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. Look at, look at how hard Paul's life was post-salvation, post-Jesus. I think he had every reason to want to go home and be with Jesus, but look at his life. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the, from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul had every reason to want to be with Jesus. He had every reason. Look at that life. That's just post-Christ. I think maybe he had a good life before that, but look at this. And it's interesting because I started reading through this passage, and then I started thinking about you, you folks. And I haven't had the honor of knowing you guys for a while, but... I know for a fact that for many, of, for many of you, your lives have not been easy, and in some cases still not easy. Many of you have suffered from illness and, and divorce and death and depression and broken homes and addiction and financial struggles, violence. And believe me when I say this, being with Jesus and putting an end to all of that, all of those hardships would be amazing. Amen? And I really, I am really excited for the day when we can say goodbye to these aging, sickly bodies and we can be with Jesus in heaven forever. It's going to be awesome. But the only reason that you're still alive here today is for the purpose 
of fruitful labor to serve others. It's the only reason. People talk about what's the purpose in life, what's the meaning of life. Right here, to serve others. I promise to you that if you dedicate your life to this, the reward will be all the sweeter. Amen? In the long run. Let's read through verses 25 and 26 and see. Let's get, a, a, I guess, a picture of what that fruitful labor looks like, what it means to remain for Paul. Verse 25 to 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So for Paul, that fruitful labor is for the progress, for the joy of the faith, joy in the faith, and the boasting in Jesus Christ for the church. A short way to summarize that is sanctification. He exists for the sanctification of, of the saints. Or, if you don't like that big word, we'll say growth. He existed for the growth of the people. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sanctification or growth like this. The work of God's free grace by which we are renewed in the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Does that sound awesome? Who here wants free grace? Yeah? What about to be renewed in the image of God? Who wants to be enabled more and more to die to their sins? Who here wants to live in righteousness? I'm really glad that you guys, you want those things. According to verses 25 and 26, the reason why Paul and the reason why you and I are still alive is for the growth of fellow believers and those who have yet to come to Christ. It's cool. We were really drawn to Fellowship Oshawa because of how close everybody is. It's a tight-knit family. This is something that you can't duplicate. Is A lot of churches want that. They can't do it. They can't figure it out. A lot of people want that. A lot of people are lonely. The way we grow is by working together. We need each other to grow. And so Paul continued in the flesh for the progress and the joy of his fellow believers. And the reason you're still alive is for that same reason. I think it's God's plan that the way we grow is by being with each other. And it's all through the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. There's so many more, so many, there's dozens of more verses that, that are kind of in that vein. It's God's design. We're not, we're not called to grow in isolation. How do you think God grows his people? Through his people. How does God love his people? Through his people. How does God teach his people or comfort his people or correct his people or reach his people? It's through his people. This is how he does it. In fact, I, I want to say this to you. If you are not actively plugging yourself into a healthy local church, I'm not saying it has to be here, but if you're not plugged into a healthy local church with other believers, I can almost guarantee you that you're not growing. And if you aren't growing, then you're 
almost certainly dying because we can't chill in the middle. We're either growing or we're dying. There's no middle ground. And so we have to submit to his people. That's the only way that we can grow. But as I think about that, I realize how hard it is. We're, we're like, we're so selfish. You know, I mentioned growth and love and teaching and comfort and correction and, and reaching people. And the thing is, is our North American minds, we immediately go to a place of receiving. We immediately think about, hey, how can I get those things? And the, thing, the reason is because we're such a consumeristic culture in a lot of cases. And the church is no exception. And there's no exception. In so many ways, we have turned the church into a vendor of religious goods and services. We treat it like it's Best Buy. And that's why church hopping is so prevalent today because we look at church as like a place where I go to get stuff. And if it doesn't line up with the preferences and the, and the product and service that I have in my mind, oh, I'm going to go to this next place. Oh, and I don't like the music here. I'm going to go here. And I don't like the carpet here, so I'm going to go here. And there's library books here, so that's distracting. I don't want to be here. One day I was, I was thinking about this, and this, God gave me this, this image of, of, of where we could go with this. And it was based on two concepts, comparing two different ideas. The first one is a restaurant, and the second one is a potluck. So if you'll indulge me, I'd like to, to share the difference. We can compare and contrast them, and I want us to see what the difference is and what we can learn from that. So at a restaurant, we go to be served. Waiters bring us our food, they bring us our drinks, they seat us, and our job is to go there to sit, to enjoy, to be served, to eat, and enjoy one another's company. Well, the company of the person you're with. We order what we want, we wait, maybe they bring us appetizers, then we eat, we have a great time, we eat, we pay for it, and if it was good, we tip. I mean, all Canadians tip, even if it's bad, we're tipping something. If it was good, we tip. We leave a good review maybe on Google. If it was bad, we tip lower, leave a bad review, and we never go back. Is that, is that accurate for a restaurant? Now let's compare that to a potluck. A potluck is a joint effort. Everyone brings something, and even if you didn't, there's no, it's not a problem. Everyone contributes. Every potluck I've ever been to, if you don't bring something, you feel bad, so you start moving chairs, <laughs> setting the table, washing the dishes. There's a lot of jobs, right? Everyone sits around the table or the room, and they eat together. Everyone eats from a wide variety of food, and that meal is each dish on the table is kind of a snapshot of everyone's contributions. You know, you always got the guy who brings Popeyes. You always got the guy who brings Oreos. You got the one guy who brings Sprite. And then there's always, like, the really awesome food. <laughs> this, is, this, is every, this is every potluck, right? And there's always enough food. There's always way too much food. So as, as we compare the restaurant and the potluck, I, I want to ask you this. Which one reminds you of God's plan for our growth? Which one? Potluck? Growth is a communal giving activity that starts when we empty ourselves of selfishness, make room for what God wants us to be. Giving leads to receiving. So if you want to grow, my encouragement to you is help someone else grow. If you want to receive love, 
you give love. If you want to learn, teach others. There's always someone you can teach. Do you want to be supported and comforted and encouraged? Well, support and comfort and encourage someone else. And this is how we magnify Jesus in our lives. That's what it means. That's what Paul meant when he says to live is Christ. To live is Christ means to live your life in a way that Jesus would live his life, keeping Jesus' commands and abiding in his power. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We magnify Jesus in our lives by submitting ourselves to fruitful labor that results in the progress and the joy of fellow believers as well as those who have yet to believe. It means to love and serve one another, and it's the only reason that we're still alive. The only reason why any one of us in this room are alive is for that purpose. So as I bring this message to a close, um, some of you might have sat through the, the message thinking or wondering to yourself, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I haven't really made that decision. Um, you might be thinking, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That really makes no sense to me because I'm not a Christian. So to live is me. To die is I have no idea. And so if that applies to you, I want to say this to you. I, I so desperately want you to be able to say with God's people, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For two reasons. Life without Jesus is no life at all. Death without Jesus is no life at all. Your life has no meaning without Jesus. Your death has no meaning without Jesus. It says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I, I, I looked at that middle word and I said, I thought to myself, it doesn't say or. Paul says he can't choose between the two, but there was really no tension between those decisions. It didn't say to live is Christ or to die is gain. Because for Paul, it wasn't a matter of life or death. It was a matter of life or life. Life here or life there. That's why he was... He had joy because he was confident that no matter what happened to him, he knew Jesus and that was enough for him. Whether I'm alive here, God has my back. If I'm dead and I'm, in, I'm with Jesus, even better. There's no loss for me. There's no problem. And so if you don't know Jesus, I, Jesus, I want you to, to have that as well. And you can have that by placing your faith in Jesus, by believing that he died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, by believing that he rose from the dead, and one day, if you believe in that, you'll be able to say, to die is gain. And if you believe in him and follow him, your life, your purpose in life will be realigned to your creator, and you'll be able to say, to live is Christ. If you're really interested in that, I would love if we could have a conversation, there's coffee, we'll hang out. You can talk to me about that if you have any questions. Otherwise, uh, let's move into the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray for for this message and I'm pray for you. And as we go to the table, I want you to imagine the potluck. This is this is not a restaurant where you go up and you pay your money and you're on your way. That's not what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is a potluck. We all are together. Nobody's here to be served. We are here to serve one another and when you serve, you will be served. It's a communal activity. So that's what the Lord's Supper is about. I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll continue. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Paul who so badly wanted to be with you, yet was obedient and knew that it was necessary for him to 
to stay here for the service of his of your church of your people and for the service of those who did not know you yet father i pray that you would instill in us this image of fruitful labor show us what it really means god i pray that you would convict us of our selfishness show us the ways that we live for ourselves help us to follow christ's example you sent your son to die for our sins and to give his life up for us. I pray that we would copy that. I pray that that would be our example when we're struggling to think through how we should live our lives as we struggle with selfishness. I pray that you would remind us of your son and what you've done for us and that we would focus on you and focus on service of others. And I pray, God, that you would help this church to grow, to progress, to, to, joy, to grow in faith and to grow in joy. And I pray that this church would be known for boasting in Christ. And I pray that you would help us to get there, to continue getting there, by serving one another and by loving our neighbors. Father, I pray that you would help us to celebrate your table today with joy in our hearts. And I pray that we wouldn't just look down at the cup and look at you, but that we would look around at one another and say, this is, this is supper. This is we're together. Thank you for bonding us together. In your name we pray. Amen.